The command to seek God. To seek God. Let's look at a few uh, introductory passages together as we get this uh, on our minds. The command to seek. To seek God. Isaiah. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Notice in verse number 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Seek the Lord. What other passages come to your mind as you think about the command to seek God? Does one just pop into your mind? What about Matthew 6 and 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Any other passages come uh, rushing to your mind as you think about seeking God? Seek and you shall find. Okay. Jesus teaching to pray. Mike is reminding us of this very important passage in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, beginning in verse 7. Okay. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek uh, God. And so we want to study this um, command out together uh, so that we can, of course, be those who seek after God and um, uh, learn to be more pleasing unto Him. Right. I want us to first entertain the idea when we think about seeking God that there is plenty of evidence for us to do this command. God never gives us a command that cannot be carried out. And there is plenty of evidence for us to be able to seek God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 for a moment. Of course, you know that this is um, Paul's trip into the city of Athens as we get near the end of, or at least the middle part of Acts uh, chapter 17. And Paul observes that the city is wholly given to idolatry. Acts 17 and verses uh, 16 through 21. He notices this and he, he kind of observes the habits of of many of the religious people there. And then notice Paul beginning in verse 24, Acts 17, 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all man life, breath, and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. Verse 27, that they should seek God. That's our thought. 
tonight. Seeking God. Verse 27. That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Find Him. So this is a, a reflection upon what Jesus was talking about in regard to prayer. That they may seek after God and find Him. Find Him. Now, Acts 17 suggests that there is evidence to be able to find God, seek and find Him. The order that's in the world is part of that evidence that God is there and that we can find Him. He is the one who has determined the boundaries of people's living places. He is the one who has made heaven and the earth and everything that is in it. There's plenty of evidence to be able to seek after God. And it also implies here that God has created us both with the ability and the responsibility to seek after Him. Seek and He shall uh, be found. So I want us to think just for uh, a couple minutes about this evidence. What kind of evidence is there to where we can actually seek after God and find Him. What kind of evidence is there? There's a world, must be a world Okay. There's a world. Okay. So Mike's bringing up the important idea that God has revealed Himself in His own world or in His own uh, creation. Sometimes people call this general revelation of God. There are two types of of ways in which God has revealed Himself to man. So there's, there's general revelation, and then there is special revelation. Okay. And so Mike is referring to that general revelation. So let's think about this for a moment. Um, look at uh, Psalm 19. Let's run back to Psalm 19, and we'll notice both of these together, the general revelation and the special uh, revelation. Psalm 19, this is quite familiar to, to most of us, but we'll read here the first few verses of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Verse 1. And the firmament above, the sky above, proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals Knowledge. There is no speech. Verse 3. There are no other words whose voice is not heard. So notice again how that God's world is characterized by beauty. It declares the glory of God. His world is, is characterized by beauty and by, um, by order. And really... Uh, we're amazed at what He has uh, created. And where there, as Mike said, where there is a world, then there's a world maker, and we have journeyed through these thoughts before. Hebrews 3, 4 uh, says, Every house is built by someone, but he that built all things is God. Notice that the beauty or glory of God is seen both in the daytime and the nighttime. Notice it says the sky above. That mo- most likely is a reflection of daytime. Daytime. And it is, it's a glorious thing to be able to look upon the world 
in various parts of the, of the day. Many enjoy the sunrise. Other people enjoy the sunset better. A beautiful sunshiny day with just a breeze uh, is remarkable also uh, to enjoy. The daytime uh, reveals the glory of God. But notice also here in verse verse number 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals uh, knowledge. So there's also something beautiful about the nighttime. Now hold your place there and jump back to Psalm number 8. Talking about nighttime. Psalm number 8. David says, verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the, the moon, notice this, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him. So David is stunned by a couple things here. The wondrous power and very unique creation of God. And he sees that through the sun, the moon and the stars. Especially at night time, the moon and the stars. Remember, David would have spent a great amount of time outside because he was a shepherd of the sheep. So even at night time, he had time to reflect and meditate upon uh, the Lord God. But also, David was struck by how much God cared for man. And for him. For him personally. Uh, this wonderful creator, this, this awesome God, why does he stop and why is he mindful of me? Mindful of me. The, the, um, the last song of the funeral uh, service this afternoon for Allison's grandmother was, the Lord has been mindful of me. You know that song? The Lord has been mindful of me. He blesses and blesses. Again, I had not heard that in a while. And that's so very true, isn't it? The Lord has been mindful of me. And so Psalm 19 brings out the general revelation of God and how that you can observe the glory of God both in the daytime and at night by looking at the world. But notice... That verse 3 says, There's no speech nor other words whose voice is not heard. In other words, this can be seen from any part of the world, from anybody in the world. There's no place in the world where this voice, what voice? This voice coming out from the creation of God that declares, this creation that declares the glory of God can be seen from any place on earth and can be observed from anybody on earth, and ought to be. Because again, God has given us both the ability and the responsibility to seek after Him. Go ahead, Brother. Uh, talking about the creation and uh, how one can observe it and find evidence of God's existence, uh, there is a, a movie put out sometime back Evidences and the most named It's called a privileged planet. And one of the points made in that, uh, which I'd never thought about before, was that when you step back and look at the cosmos, the, uh, what do you call it, the outer space, the uh, universe, universe. Uh-huh. that Earth. 
not only is this the only little blue ball in our galaxy and everything, but from Earth, it is so positioned in the galaxy that we can observe the space, outer space. But if we were positioned somewhere else in the orbit, uh, all we would see it is just a, a mass. We couldn't see far off. And so the fact that uh, God intended for us to, to see his creation here on earth and also out in the universe, uh, it just struck us as, as uh, something that I never thought about before, but even in the positioning of our planet for that purpose. All right. Very good. Brother Larry's bringing out a, a recent movie called The Privileged Planet. Yeah, it's a documentary. Documentary. And it speaks about these different evidences of God uh, in the universe. And he's speaking how that, in particular, the movie brings out that the position of the earth to the sun, or the position of the earth in the universe, is so precise that if we were anywhere else, if the earth was positioned any other, well, any, any other way, we would just see just one big mass staring us in the face. But it's so positioned that, that we can observe the beauty of God in creation. We can see the stars. We can observe where we are at. And uh, that's a beautiful thought uh, to think about. How God uh, intended for us to, to seek Him and to see these things. And I love that thought. Yes. David, in Psalms 19, verse 1, I ask people, okay, it says a permanent, big word, pretty word, what does it mean? A lot of folks don't realize that the permanent that shows the glory of God is referring to what's holding up that rainwater. It is the aquarium. It is the vault. That's the permanent. That is what's proven that there's a God. That's what's showing God's glory that He can hold all that rainwater and we can't see how it's done. Right. That's the permanent. It shows the handiwork of God. Okay. Very good. Very good. It's just amazing to see what God has done in providing life uh, on this earth. And speaking of being positioned, uh, we are also positioned uh, in such a way, such a precise way, that, that life can take place on this earth. Right. So if we were any closer to the sun or even further from the sun, it would be impossible. And so the, the work of his fingers, you know, the meticulous work God went in to do and did in these six days is, is amazing. And so we can seek God through these means. Uh, so this is general revelation. Let's look at one other verse in regard to this general revelation. Then we're going to run back to Psalm 19. So we'll be ready for that. Romans 1 though. Romans 1 is so good in regard to this seeing God. Seeking Him uh, through the world that He made. Romans 1 in verse uh, 20 for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, perceived, ever since the creation of the world. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So God's eternal power and divine nature have been observed for a long time. Ever since he created man and put him on the earth, uh, 
through the things that he has been made. And so therefore, we are without excuse. So just as Acts 17 was telling us, even those idolaters way over there in Athens, they should be able, because God made, them, made, made them man in such a way, to be able to look upon the earth, look upon life, and know that there is an eternal power, a divine nature that has created all this, and then begin to seek after him. And it's also possible to find him. So, so that's the general revelation of God, but then there's the special revelation of God. And of course, that involves the word, the scripture, uh, that God has revealed for us. So both of these are found in Psalm 19. So let me run back there, and you'll notice these with me. Psalm 19, verse 7. Talks about the word of the Lord. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Some translations have reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, Psalm 19 verse 8, are right, and it causes the heart to rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it enlightens the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So you can see again and again, God has revealed himself both through the world and the word both through general revelation and special revelation. So God wants man to know that there is an eternal power, a divine nature that has brought him here, and he wants him to know it in such a way that he would seek after him. But then, it doesn't stop there. Man needs to know what his response, what responsibility is before God. He needs to know that he has some spiritual responsibility before God. That there is sin in the world. That man is a sinner. And that God expects him to seek uh, him in order to find out uh, about salvation. And to, uh, to know that there is spiritual food available uh, from God. Okay. And so it's both the general and special revelation. What did Jesus say to the devil? When the devil said, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. What did Jesus say? Thus saith the Lord. It's written. Well, then what did he say? Man do not live there, uh, I've read along, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Found. Get, get, get that out of your head. Well, yeah, that's it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. So where are these words of God if not in the Bible? Where are the words of God if they're not in the Bible? We believe totally that, of course, they are in the Bible. But he said that. And then over in Matthew 5, as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who do hunger and do what? Thirst after righteousness. And they shall be filled. Man has a spiritual responsibility to, to seek after God, not just to know that there's God, but that to be healed by God to be um, forgiven by God, to be lifted up by God, for man to know his purpose on earth, for man to know that, that life is, is about more than things, and more, life is more, is more than just what you see on earth. So spiritual responsibility.
Job 23.12 falls into this place where Job said, I esteem the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. Food is necessary, but the words of God's mouth are even more necessary. Now, before we leave this first ideal of evidence, I want us to turn and look at something from John chapter 1 together. John chapter 1. I want us to see that these disciples that Jesus called to him, they have been seeking. They have been seeking. Notice in particular John chapter 1, 43. John 1, 43 beginning. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was... Um, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said, now notice this, Philip found, found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. Now notice that. We have found him. They have been seeking for uh, the Messiah. They have been seeking for the one to come that have been discussed in the prophets. We have found him. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So they have been able to find the Lord through the writings of the Old Testament. And if he can be found in the Old Testament, which was a partial revelation of God, that had many promises to be fulfilled, then certainly we can find the Lord because today we have the full revelation of God. Alright, the second big thought I want to share with you about the command to seek God is that this ought to be taken seriously. It ought to be a serious undertaking. Not a trivial. Not trivial. I think it's excellent when your children are little and when your grandchildren are coming along that you play a lot of games with the Bible. Get these facts of the Bible in their mind. That's, that's the stage of life that they're in. It's three big stages of life. Elementary age is the factual age. When children want the facts. Give me the facts. When children begin to grow into the middle school years, the young adult years, then they want to know what all these facts are about. Why are you telling me all these facts? And then... When our children get into high school and college age years, it's time for them to be able to express their faith okay, to the world. So we build a foundation with them when they're young. And then we provide the scriptural answers for them, the answers to, to the real questions of life as they get older. And then in hopes that they'll be ready to be soul winners, be ready to express their faith, express what God has said, as they get into their high school and, and into their early 20s. Okay. But I think that's great when they're young to play trivial pursuit with the Bible, but, but the Bible is, is of course, um, more than trivia. This seeking of God is, is more than just a, a game. It, it, it's serious. Now, what are some things that you could uh, look to in the Bible that would tell you that this is a serious command to seek God. It's serious. What, 
what would be, if, if somebody was asking you, well, what makes it so serious? Then what would you say to them? Okay, so for Mike, he says Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, Solomon came to the conclusion to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man, whole duty of man. Very good. What, what comes to your mind when you think about this being a serious command? How would, how would you, how would you uh, relate the seriousness of seeking God? All right. Because it's necessary to decide what kind of life you're going to live and where you're going to live afterwards, what Brother Benton is saying. Very good. You know that familiar passage, Hebrews 9 and 27, what does that say? It is appointed. That's right. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, uh, the judgment. The judgment. Two sure things in life. Okay. Death and judgment. Yeah, you said taxes. Okay, we don't want to think about that. But death and judgment. Death. Or say it another way. You're not going to be on this earth and judgment. Because it could be that Jesus comes again during our lifetime. Brother Don Blackwell was making all these points clear on Sunday. Uh, but it's very possible for Jesus to come today, tonight, tomorrow, during our lifetime. He's going to come and during the lifetime of someone living on this earth, some generation living on this earth. But here's two sure things. We will not be on this earth forever. We'll be on this earth a short time and we will face judgment. That makes seeking God a very serious proposition. Someone has said that we're not prepared to live until we're prepared to die. I think it's pretty good. We're not prepared to live until we're prepared to die. And seeking God and going, wanting to be in heaven with Him has a boomerang effect of how you live on earth. And I think that's what Brother Ben was uh, expressing to us. What other thoughts come to your mind to make seeking God a very serious idea? The wise men, wise men seek God, they come looking for Him. Okay, the wisest people we know have sought God. All right, that's, that's, a, that's a very good uh, observation. In fact, on top of that, let's turn to Hebrews 11 and notice the little statement there that falls in with that because that is so true that the best people we've ever known love the Bible. The best people we've ever known and ever will know are people who seek God. Hebrews 11 is just an example after example of people seeking God and, and having faith in Him. And so in the midst of this, notice Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11, 6. For without faith it's impossible to be well pleasing unto Him for he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek 
who diligently seek after him. Notice that seeking there. And it's interesting that he puts this right in the middle of explaining faith and how faith was carried out, developed and carried out by some of the wisest men we've ever known. So it makes it very serious. What else comes to your mind in regards to Okay. Larry mentioning the familiar verse here in James 4, in verse 7, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. It's, it's a reciprocal impact, Larry would say. And that's very true. Very true. If we seek him, then he will come near us. God is not going to, I guess. I struggle with words for this, but he's not, he is not going to spoon-feed his people. He feels that he has done the job of creating us in such a way. And he has done the job of revealing himself in such a way that it should be no problem for man to seek after him. So he's left us seeking to us. But if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Makes it very serious. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16, 26 about the soul? What question did he ask? What's the profit of man if he gain his whole world lose his own soul? Okay. So that makes it serious as well. The, the seeking after God has to do with the soul. The soul. It is the soul that's going to live on and on. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Be turning your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. Is that 2 Timothy 2.15? Notice and, and think about the seriousness of seeking God as, as you read that verse. Study... To show yourself approved unto God. And we've noticed this together before. And many good teachers have come through and taught us this. But the word study there certainly uh, has to do with getting into the book. And reading and studying, comparing, contrasting. You know, Solomon once said, Much, much study is a weariness to the flesh. But study here means so much more than that. It means being diligent. It means putting your best foot forward in what you're doing in seeking God, no matter what it is. Is it reading Bible? Then you put your whole heart into that. Is it worshiping God? Then you put your whole self into that. Is it praying unto God? Put your whole... Are you? That's a good question. Do we put our best foot forward into praying to God? Do we give it our best effort? Do we, do we really give praying to God the time that we should give to praying to God? Do we really enjoy, do we really look after, do we look forward to speaking and hearing from God in His Word and speaking to Him in prayer? So be diligent. Uh, study to show yourself approved in God. And then he follows that up by saying, a workman... So seeking means to be diligent. It means to investigate. It means to do uh, put put your labor in. This is all uh, required if we're going to find 
God. Sometimes when we meet critics of God, critics of the Bible, we can only get so far with them because there is this concept, there is this part, this, this reality that if they are going to find God, they're going to have to do some seeking on their own. It's not just going to fall into your lap. And so as you are working with someone, you've got to, you've got to make sure that, look, this, if you want to find the truth, do you really want to know what life is about? Do you really want to know about God? Do you want to know about spiritual things? Then you've got to put forth the effort. Are you willing to do that with an open, honest heart? Are you willing to listen carefully to all that is said in, in the Bible? Somewhere in 1 Peter 2, Peter says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Unless you put forth the effort, then you're never going to see how good the Lord is. So I guess life is like a test, isn't it? It's like, it's like a big, gigantic test. And God says, Here I am. Come and find me. And it should, should be no problem. We're seeking seekers in evangelism. Yeah, we are seeking seekers in evangelism, Larry says. And that is so very true. And those, that's the hard part. That's the, boy, once you find a seeker, then, boy, it, it just, it's, it's just really nice. It's really nice when you find someone seeking. I mean, that, that's over half the job of helping someone see Jesus. So how to create that desire is a whole other subject, but seeking God is so important. Now follow with me from 2 Timothy to uh, 2 Peter for just a moment, and then we'll wind this up with our third observation. 2 Peter 3, and notice uh, verse 14. What had Peter been discussing up to this point? Who can tell me right quick? Think about Peter, you think about knowledge. Okay. In 2 Peter 1, you're developing your knowledge. You're growing in faith and knowledge and virtue and, and kindness and love. 2 Peter 2 talks about those who are teaching false knowledge or getting it wrong. False ideas, false teachers, and the judgment that will come upon them. 2 Peter 3 talks about a certain type of knowledge, mainly about the second coming of the Lord. And you read down through 2 Peter 3, and God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 2 Peter 3.10. And so, he works up uh, to this in verse 14. He says, therefore, 2 Peter 3.14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him. Notice this. Are you reading this? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and to be at peace. Well, that's a lot to live up to. Without spot. Really? That's how serious it is. When the Lord comes again, He wants us to be found without spot, without blemish, and to be at peace. To be at peace with Him, with ourselves, and with other people. Command to seek God. 
Now, the third observation I want to make with us as we get through this class and as we try to explore this command, we need to try very hard not to learn the hard way. Not to learn the hard way. Now run back with me to another prophet, Hosea, right quick. Hosea chapter 5. He's warning Israel about the captivity that they will be getting from Assyria. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Hosea, chapter 5. Notice verse 15 right quick. I'm get my pages to do that. Hosea 5.15 I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek after me. In other words, God is telling them through this prophet. I am, God is saying to his people, I am withdraw, withdrawing myself from you. I'm bringing this distress upon you until you learn to seek my face. Until you learn to come after me. You see, the, the captivities of the Old Testament were not just punishment. They were. But they were, they were to be a learning experience. There was a chastening, a discipline here. They were to learn from this. And God says, I am, I am withdrawing myself until you learn to seek after me. Let's, they had to learn the hard way. And that's okay. It's better to learn the hard way than to never learn at all. But let's try to get ahead of that because we have the revelation of God. And let, let's, let's not have to learn the hard way. You know, Mike was bringing up Ecclesiastes 12. Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments. But if anybody ever learned the hard way, it was Solomon, wasn't it? He tried everything under the sun to bring himself happiness, whether it be women or wine or wealth or his own work. He sought the wisdom of men. Nothing brought him peace. He finally learned. But he learned it the hard way. Hard way. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's the hard way. That's the hard way. Um, so, all right. The commands of God to me are very interesting, and, and what He commands us to do is, um, is good for us. Uh, Brother. Um, Don Sunday brought out 1 John 5. The commands of God are not grievous. They're good for us. They're not burdensome. And so let's bear that in mind as we study these thoughts out. Thank you for being in. Go ahead, brother. Psalm 1914. We'll bring that out here in just a minute and during our devotion. That's a good verse. We needed it. Keep on reading down. We'll, we'll bring that out here in just a minute. 